Um, Jesus is definitely in charge. Um, so, Lord, we, th- we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty. But, Lord, we, we thank you for including each one of us in your plan, in your sovereign plan. Lord, you could have done it without us, Lord, but you invited us in, Lord. We're so privileged to be part of your sovereign plan. We're so privileged to partner with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you. We, we, we just pray this morning, um, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Lord, may the cry from this place this morning be that. Let your kingdom come. Lord, on this earth as it is in heaven, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom be established in and through our lives. Lord, may it not just be our prayer, but may it be our sacrifice. Lord, we come before you this morning and we partner with your heart and with your desire, and we say, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom, let your power, let your authority be established on this earth through our lives. We say, yes. Yes, Holy Spirit. We agree with your plan and your purpose in this world. Open up. Open up the windows of heaven and pour out Pour out your kingdom. Pour out your blessing. Let it be manifest through our lives. In the mighty name that is above every other name. The name of Jesus which is above every sickness. The name of Jesus which rules over and demolishes any sin. We thank you for the power in your name. Amen. So the subject this morning uh, is very familiar to me, that is uh, the garden of the Lord. I want to speak to you this morning about the garden of the Lord, and I want to introduce that topic this morning and get into it a little bit further next week. Um, So a garden, uh, I I looked up a, uh, a Wikipedia Quotation, so we, we can understand what is, a, what is a garden this morning. So a garden is a planned space, usually outdoors, set aside for the cultivation, display, and enjoyment of plants and other forms of nature. Yeah? You get that? Let me repeat it. A garden is a planned space usually outdoors, set aside for the cultivation, display and enjoyment of plants and other forms of nature. The single feature identifying even the wildest garden is control. So every garden that has been planned and planted, whether by God or by man, it needs control or management. Management is a bit of control, kind of has a bit of a negative uh, swing to it, ring to it. So management, every garden needs management. So my question this morning is who is managing your garden? And uh, as, as a life of uh, commitment to building gardens for people, um, you know, it was quite, quite interesting because people would always ask me, you know, when I went to see people's, you know, what they want for their garden as a landscaper. And uh, they would often say to me, oh, we're very busy, we want a low-maintenance garden. And I would tell them there is no such thing. Low, <laughs> a low-maintenance garden is a concrete garden with plastic plants. So they weren't too happy about that, but every garden has to be maintained. It has to be controlled and needs a manager. And I I first, uh, 
my first experience with gardening was I grew up in a, in a house in uh, Northbridge and we had a very big garden and it was like, a, uh, like an English garden. So like clipped uh, plants, hedges and, and back in those days we used to turn over the soil. We didn't have like sprays to kill off weeds. So we just turn over the cultivate the soil and prune the plants like that, um, pull out the weeds. And my father wasn't around, so I helped my mother to look after the garden, and then I took over that responsibility from the age of around 12, and then uh, which led into me growing my own plants and growing vegetables. I used to enjoy, uh, you know, seeing life come in the garden and planting the seed and then growing the plants and learning about pests and diseases. And then my favorite time was the harvest time, you know, collecting the beans and the tomatoes and bringing them in to the kitchen and producing them. I used to then uh, go in back in those days in the uh, early 80s, palm trees were very popular. So I used to go and collect seeds from palm trees and grow them in my backyard. And eventually those palm trees, I had a few hundred, maybe thousand palm trees, they when they germinated they were very small but every year I would pot them up into a bigger pot and then after two years three years the whole backyard became full of pots there was nowhere else to stand because these palm trees kept growing so anyway I, I enjoyed growing plants so I I did my apprenticeship in in landscaping and gardening and um, hence why I'm talking to I think I am kind of qualified to talk to you about that when I say every garden needs maintenance. Um, after many years of building gardens, sometimes I'd go back and find all of our hard work was just ruined because there was no manager. And you see these plants which were supposed to be kept nice and tidy were just out of control. But anyway, it would give me repeat business <laughs> because you know people didn't look after their garden so now we're going to look at God's word and and you know we know the first garden was planted by the Lord in Genesis chapter 2 verse 8 and uh, the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So the Lord planted a garden in Eden. Eden means pleasure. The Lord planted a garden in a place of his pleasure. And in that, so the, the garden gave God pleasure. And it is there in that pleasant place that uh, the Lord put man so Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the place of his pleasure in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. So he put man in place of his pleasure and gave him some work to do. He gave him uh, a responsibility to manage. He put man as a manager. He realized that beautiful garden needed a manager. And the Lord provided some work for him to do, some responsibilities for him, for the first man. He knew this incredible, gifted, intelligent, capable man needed some responsibility, somewhere where he could grow in his creative ability and his giftings. And he put man in this place to tend and to keep it. So these uh, two different uh, words, tend means is abad and keep is shamar. And I looked up the meaning of these words. So to tend means to serve, create, labor, toil and cultivate. So he put man in the garden of his pleasure to serve, create, labor, toil and cultivate and then he said not only will you serve create labor toil and cultivate but 
you will keep, you will keep that which you create, that which you labor towards, that which you toil. You, you have a, man had a dual responsibility to work in it, to form, to build, to create, to labor, but then his other responsibility was to keep, to watch over or to guard, to have oversight. And it's like uh, when I started my landscaping business, at first I was very focused on creating, building, working in it, but then I had this problem that I'd get so busy doing the work that I'd forget to protect the business in the sense of creating more work after I finished what I was doing. So I'd be so caught up in the work, I'd get to the end of that job and I realized, oh, I forgot to get another job organized. So <laughs> with any business, we learn fast that we, we have to work in the business, but we also have to work on the business. And this is a dual responsibility that God has given to man, not only to work in, but also to have oversight, to protect, to guard, to protect and watch over. So man was given that responsibility uh, in the garden. And we know uh, in, yeah, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 9, one of the ten commandments that God gave to man was that you're to work six days, and rest on the seventh. So you're to labor, to toil, to cultivate, to invest for six days in one week. And then on the seventh, you rest and receive from me. So six days you give out, you labor, you invest, you cultivate, you build for six days. Use the giftings that I've given you to do awesome stuff, to dream and, and to create. But on the seventh day, just, just stop and, and I'm going I'm to replenish you. So that was God's plan for man. And um, Paul picks up, uh, in, in a sense, on this topic in Colossians 3, 22 to 24 regarding man's responsibility with work. He says, bond servants... Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. So the topic is uh, working for a master, and many of you are employees who work for somebody else, and he's encouraging you, if you're an employee, not to work to please the earthly boss, but there's a higher authority. So when we work, we work to please, not to please man, but to please God, which of course would mean uh, you would become the best employee uh, because, yeah, um, he says, but it, because the way that we work, it, it tells us, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. So sincerity of heart means singleness of heart or free from hypocrisy. So you're working to please the Lord. And this is the way that uh, the Lord wanted man to work in the garden. It was to be uh, sincerity of heart working for the Lord. So he was called to manage the garden uh, out of a place of singleness of heart, devotion to him. So he was saying he's created this beautiful space so that man in his work would learn to worship God. And not, not to worship his work or not to worship, even though God had put man in a beautiful garden, he wasn't to worship the garden, he wasn't to worship the trees, but he was to worship God in his work. So then verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. And this word uh, heartily is very interesting. Uh, in the Greek, it's, uh, it means psyche. And it means breathing gently. So work is worship. And as we breathe out, it's like six days of the week we're breathing out gently. Because what we receive from the Lord on the seventh day is it's a, like a gushing wind. It's like 
when God breathed into man, into his nostrils, a breath of life in Genesis, it's like an inflation. It's a strong breath. He breathes strong into man's nostrils, and it's like a man blowing up a big balloon. So God formed man, and then he breathed strong into his nostrils, and he became alive. So, so the idea is that we get filled with God. We, in our day of rest, you know, we come to places, gatherings like this, and we come to receive. We come to receive the breath of God, the Word of God, and then six days we breathe it out. So to breathe gently uh, denotes giving out the breath of God. So in this process in Genesis, back into Genesis, the Lord realized that man had uh, a big responsibility and, and he said this, he, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. So I will make him a helper comparable to him. So we see the Lord bringing a woman into to his side. We know that God caused Adam to go to sleep. He did an operation. He pulled out one of his ribs and he made a woman. He brought the woman to the man. He became his wife. And together, their responsibility was to work in the garden and to protect the garden. So we see... Uh, we know the story didn't work out well. Man failed in his responsibility. He got too busy working in the garden and for neglected to protect it. He neglected to have oversight over the garden. And we know the story. So Jesus came as the second Adam to make right what the first Adam failed to do. So Jesus came willing to take up the responsibility that Adam failed to take up. So we know that Jesus came in John chapter 19, verse 41. We see that uh, Jesus was crucified in a garden. He took all of the sin of mankind upon himself and he came into a garden, into the garden of Gethsemane and he took all of the sin. He paid for every sin that was committed in the first garden. So God um, had a contract with man through one man's sin, the whole world fell, fell into sin. We inherited the sin of our forefather, Adam. Why is that? It seems a little bit unfair, but no, because Jesus, part of that contract that was written before that man's sin was that the one man would come and remove every sin. So Jesus was crucified in the garden to pay for every sin committed in the garden. John 19 verse 41, now the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. You know, after Jesus uh, <clears throat> was crucified... He's dead after three days. He rose again. And we go forward in John chapter 20, verse 11. We read the account of one of Jesus' disciples, Mary, came looking for Jesus. Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. It's John chapter 20, verse 11. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? 
She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. That word Lord means supreme authority. A supreme authority. Verse 14, now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now, I have some props here to illustrate my point to you. Excuse me. Yeah, I feel better, more comfortable now. <laughs> okay, so uh, she's supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means master, chief, prince. So Jesus was buried in his grave clothes. But he had arranged an angel or somebody to come and unwrap him. Or I don't know, maybe he unwrapped himself. But he appeared to Mary as a gardener. How do we know? Because when she saw Jesus, she, the one that she loved, she didn't recognize him because he looked different. He hadn't spoken at this point. So just by visually looking at him, he looked like the gardener. So from my limited understanding, I figure that he had gardening clothes on. But Jesus could have appeared in any way he wanted. He could have appeared in the garment of glory. He could have appeared looking like a fisherman, but he looked to Mary like a gardener. Why? Because he had defeated Satan on the cross, but he rose on the first day in the garden. And he was saying to Mary, what the first Adam failed to do in his responsibility in the garden. I am here now to take up that responsibility. And what has caused you to be pushed out of the garden, I now am bringing you, have brought you back into that place, that place of fellowship, that place of God's pleasure. So Jesus, even though when he cried on the cross, he cried, it is finished. What he was speaking about was not his work is finished because Jesus is still seated on the right hand of the throne of the Father and he is actually working for you. He's praying and he's interceding for you. So what was finished on the cross was Satan has finished and everything that Satan has done in this world has been finished at the cross of Calvary. And when he cried out, it is finished. He was crying out that I now on my body have taken everything that is against you. Everything that was agreed upon through man's agreement with sin has been finalized. I've, I've finished it all. And the veil, the separation was torn. So Jesus, 
appearing to Mary as a gardener, was saying, I'm sorry, Mary, for what has happened to you. Mary was a woman of pain. Mary was a woman that was under authority. We don't know about the men in her life. We don't know the story about her father. But, sorry, I'm just going to remove this hat. (laughs) We have all had men of authority in our lives that's let us down. And I want to I, I, I want to say I'm sorry to you this morning. I'm sorry for the figures of authority that have been in your life that haven't maintained their responsibility. We've all had men in our life, whether it's fathers or husbands or authority figures or pastors that have failed us. But Jesus appeared to Mary as the second Adam, the man that was put in the garden to tend and to keep it, to work it and to protect it. And he was encouraging Mary that I'm here for you. That which man has failed to do in your life, I am here as the God-man. I'm here as the gardener to tend to you and to keep you, to work in your life my good work and to keep you, to protect you, to preserve you. Jesus said to her, Mary, that one word that Jesus spoke to Mary opened her eyes because nobody had spoken to her like Jesus. Nobody had such a comforting, powerful, protective voice than Jesus. It wasn't his natural voice, but as he spoke, he spoke the very presence of God. She turned to him and said, Rabboni, which means master, chief, prince. You know that word Rabboni is only mentioned twice in the Bible. Once here by Mary. The other time was mentioned by blind Bartimaeus. And blind Bartimaeus was that beggar by the side of the road. And when he heard Jesus coming past, he cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd resisted him, said, told him to be quiet, leave the master. But he cried all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus called him to come to him. When, when blind Bartimaeus came to Jesus, Jesus said to him, what can I do for you? It was then that he replied, Rabboni. And it, it's, it's, it's a word which means, let's go. Let's, let's do this. Something's about to break forth. Something's about to happen. It's a word of expectancy. It's, you are my Lord. You are my master. You are my chief. You are my prince. Get ready. Something's about to break loose. Something's about to change. Blind Bartimaeus knew that his whole destiny, his whole life was going to change because the prince of peace had called him. And Mary knew when she heard that word, Mary... That word to her was power because she knew that Jesus had gotten up out of the grave even though he was wearing his gardening gear she knew that Jesus was about to do something fresh and something new in her heart. So Jesus was saying to Mary this world now is under new management. I've kicked out the old man, the old authority figure that failed, the old Adam. The old nature is gone. There's a new authority here. And I'm standing in that place. And we are going to start a journey together. So Jesus, Mary's mistake was she thought that Jesus was the supervisor of the cemetery. He was more than a supervisor of the cemetery. He was a supervisor of the very pleasure of God. He was a a supervisor. He stood in that place to do that which the first Adam failed. And legally, he had gained that responsibility. Why? Because just as the first Adam's side was pierced and, and that rib was removed to 
he legally became a husband. When he saw Eve, he said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But Jesus on the cross legally became your husband, legally became your bridegroom. His side was pierced so that legally he would have legal right to your life. That means if Jesus has legal right to your life to be your bridegroom and your husband, Satan no longer has any legal right to influence your life. Sin no longer has power or authority over your life. Sickness no longer has power or authority over your life because Jesus became not only your substitute for sin, but he became your substitute for sickness. Jesus bore your sin on the cross, and he also bore your sickness on the cross. So Jesus became your husband. That which the old man failed to do, Jesus did. In Ephesians 2, verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. That's good news. There is now no separation between you and your husband, Jesus. The va- as Holy read out this morning, there was a cry, the loud cry, and the veil was torn, the separation, everything that separated you from your God was removed. The religion that created division is now removed, and the, the law of the commandments and the ordinances has been removed, To create in himself, to create in Jesus one new man from the two, thus making peace. One new man. So it's speaking about uh, Jews and Gentiles becoming one. There's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. All have become one. But it also speaks about humankind and the church, the bride of Christ. And the idea is in a marriage, when a husband and wife are married, they become, the two become one. So <laughs> we are one with Jesus. And the only way we can be one with Jesus, because Jesus is perfectly holy, he had to deal with our sin. So if Jesus has become one with you, you're no longer a sinner. You're no longer a failure. Because we, he looks at you as he looks at himself. The Father looks at you as the bride of Christ, as you are one. So he says, create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. How is peace, how is peace going to come to this world? It's becoming one with Christ, coming into our calling, coming into our identity. And it's very interesting if you go back to John chapter 20, when, Jesus, uh, when Mary went into the tomb looking for Jesus, she saw the two angels there in white, clothed in white, one at the head and one at the feet. And if you go back to the garden after man sinned, they, there were two angels there and they were guarding the way to the tree of life. They were creating a separation between fallen man and God's presence. And they had two swords drawn so that man could not come in and live forever. But we see these two angels not resisting Mary from coming into God's presence, but we see these two angels in white. Why were they in white? White speaks about holiness and purity. Why? Because Jesus had shed his blood and those two angels had been there. Just them being close to Jesus created this purity, this holiness in their life. So I imagine Jesus telling these angels, there's coming a woman here. My bride's coming here. Get ready. She's coming. So when Mary came in, 
these two angels said they began to communicate with her. He's not here. He's risen. It was then that she was able to see Jesus. So he's removed, the shedding of his blood has removed every hostility. He's removed every division. There is now no hindrance. There's nothing stopping you other than yourself coming to him. So Jesus is here uh, this morning as the gardener for our illustration. And he's come not only to restore Eden, the pleasure of God on this earth, but the exciting thing is that he's chosen to partner with you. He could have done it all himself, but you know, he defeated the enemy on the cross, but he allowed him to be here in this world so that his children can have some target practice. We can go around and play paintball with Satan. We can see his work. He wants to partner with you in this world in bringing kingdom of heaven down. So when we see the work of Satan, that is where we partner with Jesus and destroy it, whether in our own lives. And, and this is where I, I, I believe men have to stand up. And, and Ellie spoke uh, a, a beautiful message last week about knowing our identity. And this is where men have to stand up as leaders in, in our responsibility and taking Josh mentioned responsibility for men. It's so important that God needs the men to stand up and take the spiritual responsibility in their families, in their own lives. If, if you're a lady here and you've been disappointed by a man, if you've been disappointed by your husband, if you've been left by your husband, then be encouraged because Jesus is, is standing in that place. He, Jesus is taking the responsibility that your husband should have taken. Jesus is, he became that man for Mary and he wants to become that man for you. But, but for, for men, we have to take responsibility for our own lives. We have to take responsibility for our wives, for our family, and for this world. And we have to bring the women in our lives along with us. But they, our women are waiting for us to stand up, to take the spiritual responsibility of management in this world. So God created a garden. He built a garden not so that it could get wild and unkept, but so it could be managed. It could be pruned. And that's where Jesus came to Mary as a gardener. But he, he's not doing it. He doesn't want to do it all himself. He doesn't want to fix this world up himself. That's why he wants to partner with us. He wants to partner with the church. He wants to partner with mankind. And Paul understood this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. For this reason I desire, therefore, that men everywhere would pray, lifting up holy hands. Holy hands. Why lifting up holy hands? Why should men pray? Because they have to take the responsibility as the priests in this world, as the supervisor. Not only in this world, but in our own lives, men would lift everywhere holy hands. These hands that God has gifted to create, to cultivate and to build. But as we take our responsibility to be keepers, keepers of the garden of God's pleasure, that's where we are called to pray, to lift up holy hands in prayer, to partner with the Lord. If you're not a man of prayer, then you're not abiding in the will of God. You're not abiding in Jesus. You're not abiding in the vine. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we, read, we read that out before, but um, just a couple of verses, Old Testament scriptures that explains in more detail the garden of the Lord and God's plan and purpose for us. It's Isaiah 51 verse 3, it says, For the Lord will comfort Zion, he will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. So, Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving 
and melodious song. So this is, this is our calling now as a church to comfort waste places, to make wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and melodious song. So as we go into our world, into our work, place of work, and as we use our creative gifts, your place of work is your place of influence, and that's where you are called to make the desert like the garden of the Lord. You, you are called to, be, to bring joy and gladness and a melodious song. In Isaiah 58 verse 11, the Lord will always lead you. He will satisfy you in a parched land. Strengthen your bones. You'll be like a watered garden and a spring whose water never runs dry. The Lord will lead you, satisfy you in a parched land, strengthen your bones. You'll be like a watered garden, like a spring whose water never runs dry. So we get the picture of our own lives becoming this Eden, the, the very pleasure of God. Now Isaiah 61 verse 11, for as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before the, all the nations. So we see Jesus resurrected in the garden and he's, he, he's actually made all things new. He's restored everything back to the way it was in Eden, in the first garden. I mean, spiritually, your life, when you're born again, you're made whole, made new in Him, you've come back to that place of intimacy, that place of fellowship. And out of that place of fellowship, we, we bring heaven down into our environment. So Jesus was there on the first day of the week, planting a new garden, creating new things. The earth brings forth its bud as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all nations. That gives him pleasure. In Psalm 92 verse 13 and 14, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. This is God's plan for your life, that you'll be planted in his house, that you'll be invested in his house, in his presence, so that you will flourish in his court, and that you'll bring forth fruit in old age. You'll be fresh and flourishing. So it really, you know, we've all been let down by Adam, whether it was the first Adam, or whether it was your grandfather, or your father, or your husband, or your pastor. But Jesus is willing to step into that place of authority in your life. That which was neglected, he's, he, he, he's proven he's responsible and he's capable and he's with you. And he's, he said, I will not leave you. I won't forsake you. I am here to protect you and to keep you. But you have to stay planted. Stay, stay planted in my garden. Stay planted in the house of God. If you plant yourself in the house of God, you plant yourself in relationship. Relationship with people, relationship with God. He says, in that place is a place where I will come as a gardener and will prune you, will fertilize you, and I will raise up people to come and encourage you. It's a, it's a vineyard of the Lord. There's a trellis to grow on. Everything you need. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, it's God's desire that you would flourish in His garden. 
Yea, I will be with you even until the end of the world. And that which I've started in your life, I will bring it to completion. So be, be encouraged this morning. doesn't matter how ripped off you've been or in the past that things haven't worked out. Jesus has come to stand in that place as he, as he was standing in that place for Mary. Jesus wants to be that man in your life. That man that's trustworthy, that man that's faithful, that man is committed unto the end so that we could partner with him in this world, in our work, and whatever uh, work God has called you to, I would invite you uh, to get excited about your work, get creative about your work, and to breathe God's presence into your work. And breathe the kingdom of God into your work. And we are called to work not out of the natural ability, but as we learn to worship in our work, we, lean, we, we learn to breathe his presence, that creative ability. So whatever field that God has called you to, he would desire that you would rise to the top that you would be the very best at what you are, that you would display his goodness, that you would display his ability in this world. Why? Because he planted a garden in the place of his pleasure and there he put the man whom he formed. There he put you. God has put you somewhere in this world that he has not put anyone else. And it's there that you are called to tend and to keep. But the beautiful thing is, Jesus now is come to partner with you. So even though the original man failed, you won't fail if you, if you partner with Jesus. If you allow Jesus to partner with you in your work, you will succeed. You can't fail because Jesus succeeded he defeated every enemy that would come against you so we just invite him to come and work with us and your life will be a blessing as you plant yourself in God's presence as you plant yourself in God's house you will grow and you will flourish and you'll produce fruit in old age your, your days will not be limited and they will not be cut short. But So life with Jesus becomes so exciting because God is going to use you to manifest his kingdom on this earth. Amen. So we can pray and finish up. We're not going to have any songs this morning. Let's just stand and let's join hands together. As one family, we're going to give ourselves to his plan and his purpose. Jesus is here. He's walking in the midst of his candlestick. He's walking in the midst of his church. Just picture Jesus now as you're holding the hand of somebody next to you. That hand that you are holding is the literal body of Christ. We are his body. We have become one with him. Is everybody holding a hand? Sorry, Brad. Grab someone's hand, buddy. You're part of the body. <laughs> I know you're a, you're a unit that possesses the Jesus himself. <laughs> but we need you to be linked in there, buddy. So, yeah. Um, Jesus, we thank you for your body. Lord, we are not a natural body, we are supernatural. Lord, we open up our hearts to you right now. We say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These hands that we're holding, Lord, I thank you these hands are anointed. These hands are gifted. These hands are capable. Lord, we declare these hands are your hands. Lord, we thank you that these hands are supernatural hands that have healing ability. 
We declare good works shall be done through these hands. Lord, we declare that we are your workmanship, created in you unto good works. Lord, I thank you these hands will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Lord, I thank you that these hands will be hands that create, create good works for you. Lord, I thank you, Lord, these hands will be productive hands. These hands are skilled. These hands are mighty to fight. Lord, you train these hands for war and these fingers for battle. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that many will come into your kingdom in these days. Many will be blessed through these hands. Lord, these hands are your hands. Lord, as we go into this world this week, use us. Use us for your kingdom. Use us for your glory. We are excited to partner with you. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for including us in this plan of salvation. Lord, these hands are loving hands. These hands represent you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, that your hands were pierced for these hands. Lord, as you said to Thomas, do not be faithless, but believing. I thank you that these hands are hands of belief and faith, Lord. Lord, I thank you, God. We thank you for your wounds. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the piercing of your hands, Lord. Lord, Lord, may we represent you well in your holy name, Lord. Mm, amen. Hey, God bless you. Uh, if anyone would like prayer, then you can come out. Let's pray together or grab someone who can pray with you. Bless you. Have a good week.